That's the second feather that fell out of the air conditioning vent. Did you, did you notice that? Are your eyes good enough to see that? And I was thinking as they were singing, uh, a, a feather has fallen, probably a dove's feather has, <laughs> has fallen out of the air and it's going to anoint somebody and it just missed everybody. <laughs> and I think it just went, no. <laughs> All right, let's turn to uh, Exodus chapter number 20. Good to see you out tonight. God bless you. I hope you'll be faithful uh, up to the moment of the rapture. So I don't know what the rapture is. You probably should look into it. Uh, but uh, there's no doubt that the time approaches. Uh, I'm very certain of that. Uh, I, I, I feel absolutely certain. Uh, I won't sort of re-preach or get into too much of that, but... But it's apparent uh, right back from the seven days of uh, creation, six days of labor, uh, one day of rest. Uh, those single days uh, represent a thousand years in, uh, in biblical timeline. I, I believe that to be true. Uh, most people who, who study the Bible believe that. That means that we are uh, in our 6,000 years. It means the end of the sixth day is about to happen. Now, when it will happen, we don't know because we don't know what God is counting. We don't know if God is... We know that there's been 4,000. We know that there's been 2,000. But we don't know if what God did when Jesus came, if he sort of stopped the clock and allowed that 33 years to happen and then we restart. There's also a little bit of uh, our configuration of timing. Is we, Nobody can exactly work out precise dates of, of uh, Christ's birth. We think we know. Uh, but there's a little bit of obscurity, a little bit of unclearness with that, which I think God has deliberately done that. Uh, but I heard the world say this week, I, I heard them saying, with all that pastor spoke of this morning, I heard them saying that in 2030 it will be the end of the world. They're quoting that. Now, they're quoting it for other reasons. But I thought, hmm, 2030 is about corresponds with uh, God's pl uh, possible timing with that. Do you understand? The 4,000 years of the first four days, 2,000 years of this dispensation, and the next thing to happen will be the Lord will come back for his own. Uh, they will go. Uh, then we'll have the seven years of tribulation will come upon unprecedented uh, global uh, turmoil, wars, famines, deaths, uh, a great manifestation of demonic presence uh, that uh, will be visible on earth. It won't be, are they there? They'll know for sure it's there. Uh, Satan himself being cast down. Uh, terrible, unprecedented things. Seven years of that. And then a thousand years, that's the seventh day. So the seventh day of creation was the rest day. So the last 1,000 years will be that period. So, so uh, you know, we're right on the cusp of that. And I feel very certain many of you will go in the rapture, that, that you, you will not go the normal way. I feel very certain of that. And uh, you say, well, that's just your thought. It is my thought. Uh, but, uh, but, I, but, you know, often, often I'll also say this. God reveals things to those who, who do walk with him. And God will show them. They will, they will discern things in their spirit. And what I'm telling you is being reflected all over the world by the men of God. They're, they're all coming to their own conclusions. And I won't get into 
uh, what's going on in the world, but the, the infrastructure that is needed to do all the things that are spoken in Revelation is in absolute full go-ahead. I don't know if you picked up in an article that big, tiny, this past week. They said Mark Zuckerberg, who I believe is an Antichrist, if not the, uh, Mark Zuckerberg paid, listen to it, one billion US dollars this week, one billion US for a company that has developed a bracelet that can read what the brain says to do. So, so you can just wear the bracelet and you just think like that, scroll there, do that, and it just does it. And they've picked up now, you say, that's just, that's kooky. Listen, you don't pay a billion US dollars for something that's not significant. And uh, it's all part of where we're heading. And I'm saying, wake up, because, because uh, t- the time is coming to an end. Uh, I, I get it. You've got to live life. But I'm telling you, the rapture is coming. Uh, uh, it could be at any time. You know, it, it, let's, just, let's just speculate, because no man knoweth the day nor the hour. Pastor Shemish is not telling you the day. But let's just speculate that, that it is 2030. Well, you know, how would that change how you're living now? Now, I, I haven't felt a leading yet to go out and sell my house, and, and I haven't felt that leading yet. And, 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 you know, if it comes, I'll try to follow it, but I haven't felt it yet. So I, I'm not saying that that's necessarily what God's telling you, but, but how would it change your thinking and what you're doing and how you're living and, uh, and uh, even uh, what you dedicate yourself to? Now, I, I get it. You've got to live, you've got to work, you've got to raise kids, you've got to get food, you've got to sleep. You, I, I get all that. But, but uh, let's not be caught unawares. Uh, we, we are, we're certainly approaching... Uh, that time, and I think it needs to be said more often, we're right at the cusp of that. All right, and it'll be a happy day, by the way. It'll be a happy day. You realise when that happens, it'll be unprecedented in history of humanity that at least millions, you know, hundreds, I don't know of millions, but millions of believers are, boom, are all going to go at one time and millions are going to see each other all arriving in heaven at the same time and see Jesus. And I think this is going to be a big shout go up and as we all look at each other and realise we're all here and uh, look where we are and, and a celebration, the Saviour's here and everything we believed in and put our life into and this faith we, we, we hung on to, look, we're here. And I think it'll be a, I think it'll be a wonderful day. Uh, but it hasn't happened yet. Up until then, let's keep going, keep faithful uh, I pray that we'll always have Sunday night church right up to the end. I really do. Pray that the Bible will always be preached. I pray that you'll stay faithful and you'll be glad that you did. You'll be glad that you did. All right, I want to share with you something. I hope it'll, it'll help you a little bit. Uh, there's, a, there's a truth here. I, ha- I have to build to it. So uh, a few scriptures. Uh, we may have an, uh, an initial uh, mental moment of disconnect where we go, what is this? But uh, that's nothing new with you and me, so let's just work our way through that. All right, Exodus 20 and uh, verse number 25, and any time you read the Bible, look for God in it, uh, look for what God tells you, what you see about him and us, and verse 25 it says, and if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone, For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. 
So God said, um, first of all, you see the if thou. So, so before there was a, a tabernacle, uh, before there was a temple to go into, uh, if you were going to say, well, I, I, look, I feel moved to want to worship God and I'd like to, I'd like to, I'd like to make a sacrifice for my sins or I'd like to make a sacrifice as part of my prayer. Uh, and people would do that and they did that all through the Bible. They built altars in various places. What God said, and notice he's saying this to his own children. So it's not the heathen here that just have decided they want to build an altar and worship God. They're not even thinking about this. This is, this is already a fairly committed person, right? This is already a spiritual person who has decided, I'd like to make an approach to God. And, and, uh, and God said, well, that's fine. Do that. You know, you can do it. But, but when you build your altar, uh, don't, don't try and... Um, you know, use the tools to construct something of your idea because if you do that, you'll pollute the whole thing, right? So God said, you just, just find stones that are already there and uh, just, just you, build, you, you get that together. If you want a place for your altar, for your sacrifice, just do it that way. But don't, don't try and do it yourself because... If you, the moment you do that, you'll pollute it and you will, you will uh, hinder what you're trying to do, right? You'll, you'll get in the way of you and me because you'll get in the way. And so, well, that's insightful because it tells us about God and it tells us about ourselves. It tells us that God is infinitely holy, holy, holy. And it tells us that we are not. And, uh, and even a committed spiritual person... Uh, uh, if they put themselves into it, there's still an element of fallen humanity that will, will hinder, uh, will, will, God doesn't want man in the process, all right? So, so, so there's a pattern of this, why God said, even when you've done your best, just say, uh, look, I'm just an unprofitable servant who's just done my, my duty. God, God, God wants you to realise yourself. Now, you know, we live in a day where self-esteem issues are big. And uh, so I'm not saying that God is, is warring on your self-esteem. Okay, just God is just saying, just you just see yourself uh, how I see you. But if you want to approach me, don't, don't get in the way of it. Now, it, it tells us that uh, any time we're involved in something, there's, there's, a, there's an aspect of that that can be uh, a pollutant. Uh, in the in the what we do, all right. So so think about this. It's why we should pray over everything we do, all right. Sinful man, we know this, can never come before God. The only the only way you and I are going to come before the Lord is covered in in the in the uh, the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Uh, he exchanged, uh, he took our sin and gave us his righteousness and uh, therefore we're justified because of that. But it's all just through him. But, but of ourselves, there's still a lot of us that is not 100% holy like God is. Would you agree with that? So you've been born again in your spirit. Uh, you should be renewing your mind day by day. And, and listen, your mind is as, needs as much of God's work on it as any other part of you. 
and you want God to work on your mind, but, but the body is the final point that has to be dealt with. Corinthians tells us that uh, what it calls is this corruption. That's the body we dwell in. The body we dwell in is not yet redeemed. So this corruption must put off incorruption. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, the Bible says. So there has to be uh, a, a renewing also of, of the final chapter of our, our redemption uh, will be in the redemption of the body. So, the, so we'll be changed for those who are alive uh, when the rapture happens, which will be probably many here. Uh, you'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Your body will change and, and the corruption will put on that which is not corrupt. Do you understand that? You'll have a changed body because it's the last thing that has to be changed. So you've already been born again in your spirit, right? And your soul has been saved and God has that. And so, so, but any time that we're involved, there's, there's that part of us that can bring a certain, uh, well, it's just not 100% God in what happens. So you need to pray over what you do. So you pray over your food. Why do you pray over your food? Because uh, your food comes from a corrupted earth. And you pray that God would sanctify it, that he'd make it clean. And that's an acknowledgement that it's not clean, that it comes from a corrupted source. So you should always pray over your food. So praying over your food, this is really going, isn't it? But praying over your food is, is not just a matter of saying thank you. It is saying thank you, but it's also saying sanctify it, make it clean. So you pray over your food. Uh, you should pray over our worship, that, that God would accept what we are giving, that we'd not pollute the process. Uh, imagine if the, uh, imagine, I was thinking about the choir this morning and, and, and you know, uh, I, I'm not a pastor, well, I sort of am, of a local church now in Thailand, but, but I was thinking about the choir. The choir is a ministry. What the choir does, they minister to us. It's a, it is a calling and it's a scriptural and, and they are in the Bible and the choir, what the choir does, the choir positions themselves to minister through song. To, to, and the idea is that as they minister through song, uh, that they're, 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 um, they're drawing us into a worship with the Lord as well. And, uh, and it's a ministry. It's not a performance, right? So, so, you know, unlike some things we see, it's a ministry. Well, the choir does that ministry. But can you understand, let's say that, that you, you know, if you've got 20 people in the choir, it's possible you could have people in the choir who, uh, who are thinking, let's say, uh, well, I'm sounding really good today. Uh, I love this song because it really brings out my best. You know, whatever. And thoughts like that. All right, the moment that happens, you know what you have? You have a pollutant in the process. That's what I'm saying. And, and it might just rise up in you. So, so prayer, our prayer is that God takes what we do the, 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 the messy bits that are just us in the process. And I don't think you'll have to pray this in heaven because you'll be free of all uh, sin and carnality and any of the human condition. We'll be free of all that. We pray over our ministry. We pray over our worship. We pray that God will receive our offerings. We should pray over our works, what we do for the Lord. Pray, God, would you sanctify this and set it apart? And anytime we're praying those prayers, what we're really asking God to do, when we say to sanctify it, we're asking him to claim it for himself, to, to set it apart unto himself and then to put his blessing on it. All right? So, so we do that in acknowledgement that whenever we're involved in the process, there's always some human, some nothing's perfect is what I'm trying to say.
You may be you may be a good wife, but it's impossible for you to be a perfect wife. You may be a good pastor, but it's impossible for you to be a perfect pastor. You see what I'm saying? You, you, you may be good at what you do, but it's impossible for you to be perfect. So, so because why? Because we're involved in the process. Because as long as I'm involved in it, I'm involved in it. And that's why our works will be tested in heaven. All right? All our works will be subject to God's judgment. And remember it said that they'll be tested so as by fire. And uh, that which is wood, hay and stubble will be burned up. Well, that would be the part where on that day she said... I love this, this really, uh, you know, that my voice is doing really wonderful today and this is my moment and, you know, I just feel like I'm born to be up in front of people and, uh, and you know, like God has now been pushed out of that. All right, by outward appearance, it seemed to be a Christian work, but under examination of God, that gets burned up, right? So our offerings, all that we do, is that making sense that, that when we're involved in that process? All right, so just keep that thought because it will ha- seem to have absolutely no connection with the coming thoughts, but it, but it will, all right? Genesis chapter 8 is where I want you to look. Now, when Pastor turned here this morning and made comments that I had, I had read his verse, uh, and we did have a phone call on his way up to holidays this afternoon, but uh, when, he, uh, when he made the comment that I'd read his verse on, or one of his verses on Wednesday night, and I did, Listen, I was sitting here this morning. When he turned to Genesis 8, I thought, oh, no, God, don't do this to me again. <laughs> because I was in a meeting in America in August, and this never happens to me. I was, I was, I was scheduled. I was one of the, the speakers. It was all skelly and different people were there. And I was just one of the preachers, and I was scheduled on the last night. And normally I go through a certain sort of agony about what am I supposed to preach, but I actually had it settled. And I thought, I'm feeling really, this is probably in the fire too, right? I said, I'm feeling really good that this is settled. I'm feeling really good that today I don't have to agonise, oh God, give it to me, what is it for tonight? No, I know what I'm preaching on, I've got it, it's settled, I have a peace, this is the one. And I went to the morning meeting that I wasn't on and Dean Miller got up to preach in the morning meeting and he slammed about 50% of my message. And as he was giving it out, people were going, oh, that's good. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, you know, stop. And, 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 and Curtis was with me and Joe was with me. And they'd heard me say, I know exactly what I'm preaching tonight. And I just feel good that it's settled. And they said, you? I said, I'm preaching on this. So as they're hearing Dean Miller preach my message, they're going. <laughs> <laughs> and I was looking at them like, and they go. So I had to change it. I had to, I had to change it. I couldn't, I couldn't get up and do that. But anyway, when he went to Genesis 8 this morning, I thought, oh, no. But no, listen, I guarantee you my thoughts so weird he wasn't going to hit on it, right? <laughs> yes, this is, this is my... All right, chapter 8. Now, I want you to... So we've talked about the, the, the part where humanity... Uh, and the will of God, the works of God, doing things for God sort of cross over and the pollutant aspect of it, of sinful man and all of that. I just want you to notice in verse number 6, it says, And it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made and he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Now, the raven does not return. 
And, and so we have a first mention here. We have, we're in Genesis. Uh, it now talks about the ravens. Now, there's going to be more about ravens. Uh, uh, and listen, truthfully, everything is significant. Uh, really, I'll tell you truthfully. It's all significant. Everything mentioned is significant. This, this, is more, this is more wonderful than you could possibly imagine, how this is threaded together. It's extraordinary. And uh, Genesis chapter uh, 8 here, so he sends out the raven. What's, you know what a raven is, the, the blackbird raven, and sends it out, and the raven does not come. Now, I've heard whole sermons preached on that raven. And the sermons typically take the position, and I agree with them, they say that, you know, the raven did not return to the ark. You know, the ark, a picture of Christ, and the raven went out and it did not return because it was feasting on dead flesh. And I've heard a whole sermon, and I, I think that's probably true. And then if you read after the raven, uh, but, but no comment, there's no commentary yet about the raven here. If you read after that, you get to the part where Noah sends out the dove and uh, when he sends out the dove, the dove comes back with the olive leaf in its mouth, the little piece of olive branch, right? So, so what I'm trying to say is, and you'll see it more clearer, but, but if you, even when you just start here, whilst nothing is specifically said, there's a negative connotation about that raven. And often what will happen is before something is revealed clearly in a place further on, there's a certain tone over it that raises your questioning about what that is. Does that make sense? I'm trying to say that, that, that God already knew what place ravens were going to occupy. But, but for us in Genesis chapter, there's just a tone there where we think, hmm, and, and even so far, would you, would you agree that we've taken that imagery of the dove and the olive branch and we've elevated that as being uh, spiritual and godlike, which I, I think is it's okay in, in a symbolic sense to do that. Right? But, but can you see a contrast? The, the blackbird, are you with me? The blackbird goes out and never comes back, probably feasting on decayed flesh. The dove... Uh, goes out but comes back, you know, with the, the old... And you're already seeing a picture. You ought to be saying, hmm, mm, okay, well, I'm not sure what that means, but I get it. There's a tone there to all of that. All right, so, so that's our first mention. Now, I want to look at ravens again. Go to Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 11, I'll try and sort of pull this together. And then I will give you, I promise you, I will give you an application to your life. And I'll go, there it is. All right? So just let me, let me get to it. Leviticus 11. And now we have the list. And, and imagine that you are the recipient here of the word of God. It was being read out to you. And uh, you knew the story of Noah. And you probably get to this. Well, let's read it first. Leviticus 11, verse 13. So we're going to have a list here of fowls that are uh, to be held in abomination. All right, verse 13. And these are they which ye shall have in an abomination. All right, further down, they are 
an abomination. That's verse 13. There's a list of those birds there. And you get to verse 15, and here's our raven. All right, what what are we looking at? We're looking at a list of birds that were to be considered an abomination for God's people. Every raven after his kind. So now, specifically, it tells us ravens are on the abomination list. Okay? Now, when we read Genesis 8, you know, I sort of probably was leaning that way before I got to, if I didn't know Leviticus anyway, I'd already be thinking there's a tone here that the raven is not good. All right? And then you get to Leviticus where he's actually listed and God said, these are an abomination. Now, if you're one of the Lord's people, from this point on, you never look at ravens the same way. Uh, are you getting it? From, from this point on, you know, you've you got your scriptures, God has named them, uh, and abomination's a strong word, and he says, these, these birds, these blackbirds, these ravens, are to be held as an abomination, every, every kind of them. So you've already got a, you know, you've got it, right? That, okay, they, they're not good. Okay, now, go to 1 Kings chapter 17, and let's get our, um, our application, 1 Kings chapter 17. And this is the same God, by the way, all right? It's, a, it's the same God, and, 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 and this is the Lord, and there is a truth in it, and, and somebody mentioned to me, you know, this past week, well, has God changed? because of, you know, different things with different people at different times. I said, no, no. I said, never say God has changed because the Bible says, I am the Lord, I change not. So never say, whatever you're thinking, whatever your process of logic or reasoning is, never come up with the, the conclusion, God has changed. All right, that's never, the con- that's never right. God has not changed. God has not changed. I am the Lord, I change not. Well then, how do you explain, Pastor Shemish, how God, God, God did you know, different things with different people? Well, you explain it this way, just like that. God worked with different people in different ways at different times. That's a truth. That's a truth. And, and that has to do with dispensations, revelations, understandings, lots of things. But God hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. You understand the the nature of God, the character of God, what God is and all that he is and all that he's not, God has not changed. So so God now, we're in 1 Kings chapter 17 and we come to Elijah. uh, Elijah. Do you know in Thai that Elisha and Elijah are almost the same words? Do you know how many times I go through this? And, and, and I'll say, and Elijah, and they go, oh, Elisha. I go, no, 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 Elijah, oh, 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 Elijah. And then I'll say Elisha, and they go, oh, Elijah. I feel like I just wish they were one person because <laughs> I feel like they think one person did all of that because it's just so similar. In the, it's similar to us, but it's more similar to them. They have great trouble sort of picking up which one it is. All right, and Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, that was a mountainous area, you know, I I always picture it as sort of similar to the rocky 
uh, northern Scotland area in terrain, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Pastor mentioned that that will happen again in the, in, uh, the tribulation period this morning. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook. There's a bit of water there. Hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook, and it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land, Verse number eight, and the word of the Lord came unto him saying, and I won't read what it said, but you can, you can work it out. Now, I want, to, I want you to see that God used ravens in the life of Elijah. Now, if it was me, I would have had doves flying in the food. It just would have fitted, you know. I just, I just, I just would have had doves. It must have been, um, and at least initially, a little mentally perplexing to Elijah, who knew the word of God and knew what was clean and what was not clean, and knew what was an abomination and what wasn't an abomination, it must have been initially, at least some measure, perplexing to him that God selected to use ravens in the life of Elijah. Because they're on the list, right? Now, if you're wondering, let me confirm they're still on the list after this. This event did not get them off the list. And we'll, we'll talk about what that means in a moment. All right, so here's what I'm trying to say to you. Elijah gets to a point where that brook that he's at begins to dry up. And it would have been progressively drying up. Can you see that in verse number seven? So he's, he's in the... He's in, the, he's, you know, he's in a cave. I don't know he stayed in there all day, but he was in a cave. Uh, the ravens are, are being used of God in his life and uh, morning and night. And then it comes for a while that the brook dr- dries up because of the drought. And verse number eight says that God then spoke to him about where to go next. But here's what I want to say is it's between verse... 7 and 8 is when you begin to question what you're doing at the brook. Between verses 7 and 8, between the brook drying up but you haven't heard any new word, that you begin to wonder if you're in the right place. 
And when you begin to, listen to me, when you begin to wonder if you're in the right place, then you begin to analyse the processes that went on that brought you to where you are. And, and what you can do is you start thinking, hang on, uh, am I in the right place? Is this, am, I, am I doing what I'm meant to do? Am I where God wants me to be? Um, because two things are happening, the brook's drying up, and you know what, those ravens. And you go through what I call blackbird anxiety. Uh, and what you do, you begin to question all the things that God used uh, or, or, or all the things that got used to get you where you are and, and in what you say, you say, you know, some of those things were not godly things and some, some of those things that happened to me were not godly. Either, either I was not godly or, or we were not godly and whatever but you begin to question that and uh, you, start to, you start to question And you start to examine the things that God used to get you where you are. And if you make a decision on whether you're meant to be where you are according to the nature of what was used, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble. Because God was using something that was on the abomination list to keep the prophet where he was. So here's what I'm saying. I told you, it's when the brook starts to dry up. So this is what happens. When the brook, when the water starts to dry up in the marriage, then people start reflecting on how they got in the marriage. And then they will say things like this, well, I I probably never really prayed about it like I should have. Or really, I don't know how godly that decision was anyway. You understand me? They start to re-question. Uh, uh, well, you know, uh, somebody spiritual told me this and I didn't listen. And it's funny how that all the things that you didn't bother about before you got married, once the brook starts drying up, suddenly become, you know, points to focus on as to why you may not be in the marriage God wants you to be in. Do you, is this being clear? And, and any time that you start to get thirsty you start to question, am I where I'm supposed to be? And then you start to look at process. So, so when I left here uh, 13 years ago, whenever it was, 12 and a bit, whatever it was, when I left here and went to Thailand, I went as best I could discern it in the will of God. All right? But I want to tell you, that once I got over there, many times in the first, particularly the first two years, many times I started to analyse the process. And here's what I did. I developed an eye to see ravens. And so what I could do is say, you know, that wasn't particularly godly. Maybe I'm not in the right place. You know, somebody said, well, you you, you know, you're in a midlife crisis. <laughs> Probably, I don't know, but uh, it's, it's spilled out under good, I can tell you. But, but uh, you know, but I started to look at things like that and say, listen, you start to analyse all the things that were involved 
and question, well, was this really God? Is God really in this? Because black birds are on the abomination list and, and how, can, how can this be God if this was involved? And I want to say tonight that, that God uses blackbirds in your life many times. And, and God will use things in your life to, to, to get you to a place or keep you in a place or do something in your life that needed to be done. And all God did, he used something that, that you say, well, that, that's not, you know, that wasn't a dove, that was a, that was a raven. Yeah, it was. But God was able to take it and use it to provide something for you that you needed. So there are some things that happened in my life that shaped me. And that those things have made me who I am. And they, they have, they, 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 the whole package. Now, I don't look back on those things and say, uh, oh, it was all good. It was just good, good, good. It was, it was good growing up in the home of, with an alcoholic dad. That was just good. It was good going through, you know, and I, I got a, we all got our story, but I don't have to say that. God never asked you to say the raven is good. You're not saying it's good when you just acknowledge God used it. And that's what he's saying. That, that he's just saying you have to just acknowledge that, that okay, they are what they are, and, and God, God was not the author of the, the, you know, the black bird. It's on the list, but, but he used it. He used it. And I'm talking about the things that happen in your life and that you must not begin to assess where you are by going through this deep analytical examination of all the steps along the way. And then putting them on a list, you know, which ones you, you think were God's steps and which ones you think were really the other way. And a lot of people, a lot of people wrestle with this. And you're going to find at the end of your life, and, and every person in every life has blackbirds as part of their story. And they're not doves, we get it. And, and, but God still used that. And, and it was part of the things God used in your life to, to get you into a place you needed to be that you could do what he wanted you to do. That's what I'm saying. And they never got off the list. Just because they were the ones that God used to provision Elijah, it wasn't after that God said, oh, Bless their hearts, take them off the list. Let's just call them good now. No, God never asked you to call it good. It's probably a lot of things that happened in your life that were not good. But it's it just simply can you acknowledge, and you should, that God has even used these things to have me in a place where I need to be. And you, you need to, you need to you know, die to the blackbird anxiety where you start looking at everything and saying, was it a dove? Was it a raven? If it's a raven, it's not good. God couldn't have been in that. If it's a dove, it is good. And just realise that God was using it all. And your, your life is going to be that way. You're going to look back and just realise that God just used it all. I'm not asking you to call it good. Some things happen to people that were not good. They're really bad things. But many times, 
by God's great ability, a bad thing can turn, can fall out to much good. The most, I've said this before, the most catastrophic event that ever took place in the world, I was, I was, in, I was in Thailand, you know, when the tsunami hit. And I, I'd flown in the night before. Uh, I was staying on the 28th floor. You remember things like this. I was staying on the 28th floor of a high-rise building in Bangkok uh, when the tsunami, the Southeast Asian tsunami, hit all the places that it did. And the building I was in got affected by the aftershocks of the earthquake. And it's the first time that I've been in a, a building that was swaying like that. It's a terrifying experience to to just and it, you know you're thinking the whole 9-11 and and you just realize buildings are not meant to do that and there was panic you know doors slamming and people yelling everybody's running for the exits and it was early in the morning by the time I got the exit they're all clogged so I'm on the 28th floor and every floor's got like two runs of stairs to get down to the next floor and I'm on the 28th floor and as far down as I can see it's just choked with people and, and, and more are coming out of every floor. So you, I'm, in, I'm in the building. You, you didn't have time to grab much. I, I grabbed a phone and, and rushed out. And I'm trying to, to get down. And, and lots of things are going over you. And you're thinking, are we even... And the building's moving. And you're thinking, are we even going to get down? And I got down and we all ran out to the road. And, and uh, the aftershock stopped. But we didn't know then about the tsunami. Well, you know, eventually they gave us the clear room and CNN, my wife, and telling her what had happened. And I got back up to my room and CNN was just breaking that news that, that something had happened across Asia. Reports were coming in. And, of course, it was the, the tsunami that killed in excess of 300,000 people, which is a huge number. I mean, the World Trade Center was... 2,000-something, I think, 300,000 people, uh, that was a catastrophic event. But that wasn't the most catastrophic. That was catastrophic. I saw people coming into the hotel lobby. The British embassy uh, and, the, and the French embassy used the lobby of the hotel I was staying in as a meeting point. So anybody who was being down where that had happened were making their way back to Bangkok and they were just, they were badly torn up uh, a man I know who went through that tsunami and is injured and lost family, he told me, he said it was like being in a washing machine if someone threw in a bag of nails and steel and just washed you around and it all, and they were cut and damaged. And, and uh, it was horrendous seeing people come in and there was men just sitting there crying in the corner because their wife was gone. And they were hoping that she would be there. And it was heart and There was pictures up. Have you seen this person? Please have them con. And there was people there just in shock and all over the bottom of the building, and it was catastrophic. But that wasn't the most catastrophic. The most catastrophic event that ever happened on the earth was the fall of man. The fall of man resulted in more deaths, more misery. Uh, the fall of man, the, the man's sin, and as it's been passed down. Uh, hell is not full. Hell is still saying more, more, more. 
Pastor read the scripture this morning where uh, a quarter of the world's population will be taken out by famine and it said that death and hell followed behind. Hell, more, more. The Bible says that hell is never full. It's always saying more, more. The most catastrophic event that ever took place was the fall of man. Nothing, nothing compares to the fallout, the damage of that. All right, that's the biggest blackbird you could ever imagine. But here's what I want to say. We know if the fall of man had not happened, do you know what you'd be tonight? If we were still meeting here as worshippers of God, this is who you would be. Let me tell you your highest title tonight if there'd been no fall. The highest title you would carry tonight would be a son of Adam. You would be a son of Adam. And no, no more than that. This is why you should study theology because theology is a beautiful revelation of the character of God. But tonight, what God did, God took the most catastrophic event that ever took place in the world and God said, I will send my only begotten son who will leave heaven and come down amongst them and he will, he will give himself for them and he will... He will, he will shed his innocent blood for their sinfulness. And God sent his son down. And you know what you are tonight? You know what being in Christ has done for you? The title you wear tonight is not a son of Adam. You wear the title a son of God. A son of God. And that's why Romans 5 uses the expression over and over again, much more, much more, much more. Because in Christ we have much more. So here's what I'm saying. God took the, the biggest blackbird of all time that was catastrophic and yet God used that. Was the fall good? No, it was bad. But it, it was, the, fall, the fall was very bad and a lot of bad things happened and everything bad going on today can be traced to it. But God took that blackbird and God said, I didn't cause it. And I didn't do it. And, and it wasn't, it was your choice, not mine. There were decisions you made, not decisions I made. Uh, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take the blackbird in your life and I'll use it for a great blessing for you. And that's what I want you to see tonight. That, that not to re-go through your whole life's journey and looking at all what happened and question, and just... Just receive the goodness of God in being able to take the things that he took and just use it under great good. And I don't think, I, I don't think I'd be here tonight if God hadn't taken a lot of blackbirds in my life and just used them unto my provisioning he used them unto my shaping. And it's perplexing, isn't it? Because you feel torn. Because on one hand, you can't, you look at the bird, you can't say it's good, right? It's on the abomination list. So, so I know what you, you're reflecting on some things. You say, boy, that was awful. I, I don't, there was nothing good about that. I, I get it. But, but I just want you to look on the other hand and say, the good God 
used even that unto, a, unto an outworking in my life. And don't question where you are and the marriage you're in and the way your life has gone and start to go through all your history and start questioning and ticking off things that you think were not of God and they may not have been. Just accept God has used these things and I'm in the place where I'm in because God put me there. And even if the brook is running dry a little bit right now, you hear what I'm saying? Don't, don't, that's not a reason to question where you are. Okay, Genesis 50, last scripture, finish and we're done. I want to tell you, I preach this message to pastors. Uh, I, I only preached it the first time this year because I only found it this year. But, but I, preach it to, I preach at a conference of pastors where there'll be, there'll be, there'll be this many people times, times five and they'll all be pastors. And I, I preach this to pastors. And I'm going to tell you, when I preach this to pastors, there's weeping out there. And there's just, I mean, many times altars are just full and they're pastors. And you, know, and you know what's happened? Is they also have hit times where the brook has run dry and they started reflecting on how they got where they are and they've been questioning whether they're supposed to just be where they are. And this is ministered to them. This is ministered to them. I'll, I'll tell you some stories sometime, another time. All right, Genesis chapter 50, uh, verse number... 19, Joseph speaking to his brethren and you know his father has died and they're fearful that he's going to exact retribution on them for what they did to him and Joseph said unto them fear not for am I in the place of God but as for you you thought evil against me but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Joseph said well Am I not in the place of God? Well, well, Joseph, how did you get in the place of God? How did, you, how did you get there? Yeah, we can see, Joseph, God has used you. We can see, Joseph, God has used you to save much people. We see that. Well, well Joseph, tell us, how did you get to the place of God? Well, it was a little bit like this, a bit like that. My brothers threw me in a pit and they were going to kill me. And then they sold me to some people who just dragged me behind some camels across a desert to a country I hadn't been to before. And I was a slave in jail and it was awful and they lied about me. And Well, it's a long story. But am I not in the place of God? That's the point. God is able and does use all those dark chapters, those troubling ravens to bring you and provision you to, to be where you, where you need to be. I didn't realise that God was preparing me for some work in Australia, but some work in Thailand as well. I, I, I didn't realise that there was already something in the package that was going to work over there. I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. But God, God, God used the ravens to provision me to do what he wanted me to do. And I guarantee 
that he's doing that for you also. And you just might have to just surrender. You, you, know, you know what you need to do? It's just, it's just say, Lord, I just love you. I just love you. It's not been easy. I still don't know all what's happening, but I trust you're good. And you've used all this for good. And Lord, if I'm with you, I'm, I'm at peace. I'm just, I'm just where I should be. You know what I'm saying? And just, just give it over to God. And just, just stop some of the questioning now. And stop some of the analytics. And just say, look, God was bigger than all this. And yeah, I was in it somewhere. My tool on the altar probably polluted a bit of it. Other people, there were some other people with some ravens. But listen, God is beyond all of that. And just receive what the Lord has for you. Let's go ahead and stand. I want to open the altar tonight to a time of prayer. I'd like somebody to play the piano. And I wonder tonight if you felt God has spoken to you. And maybe you just want to come and say, look, Lord, you can play when you're ready. Just, just I love you. And I just thank you for the whole story, the whole journey. Why don't you just come use the altar tonight? Uh, others are coming, you come. And we'll just take time to pray. And just, you know, boy, it's, it's a big thing when you can say, Lord, just thank you for it all. Thank you for it all. There was, there was some pain, there was some hurt, there was some process, but just thank you for it all. Uh, it's just, sometimes it's just good to be able to do that. The altar's open. If you want to come and pray, others are here, you can come. We have time. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer in a moment, but I'll give you time to pray. And just, you know, uh, past journeys, uh, blackbirds that flew into your life at one season or another, uh, maybe some sitting on your windowsill right now, but you just say, God, I look to you. I love you. I love you. And I trust you. And I trust you. And even ask God just to use all those things in your life. Maybe say, I don't even know how he's going to use it. He might be using you more than you see that you're being used. Take your time in praying. I'm going to listen to a word of prayer. I'd like, would we have a song we could sing after this? Maybe the song leader could pick a song and make his way up here. And after this, we'll have a song. So if you're praying, there's no rush. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing this time. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercies that have been just abundant in our life. Thank you, Lord, that you took us and through Christ made us sons of God. Thank you, Lord, you've given us an inheritance that is a amazing and astounding and undeserved but we thank you thank you lord that uh, as of yet lord the promise is still there that those who will come to you can and believe on you can become the sons of god bless each one help us lord i pray you would make us more resolute in our faithfulness to you and i pray lord that you just help us to trust you when we can't see what is happening and just believe in your character. Ask your blessing on these who are at the altar praying tonight, those who are in the pew praying. Bless the church, bless our pastor tonight. We love him. Pray that you bless him, bless his family, strengthen him. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Do we have a song?
Pete, come and lead us in a song. If you're praying, you have time to do that. God bless you and God help you through his word tonight.